Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. I'm Dr. Millicent Rovello, and I'm here today with one very special Dr. Jay Calvert. How are you? I am really good today. I got to tell you, I uh, Mastro's last night for Journal <laughs> Club, and I'm set. For, I, I'm like a camel. I'm not going to need to eat for about 12 days at this point. Same, but I still will eat, but I probably shouldn't. We had a journal club, which is what we do in the practice of medicine. A specialty will pull together articles related to their specialty about a given topic. And then as a group, we go through and review their relevancy and discuss them and highlight how it can add you know, or detract from our practices. So we did that last night with our aesthetic fellows and some of the residents, and we discussed gluteal fat transfer at a very fancy Mastro's restaurant and had some delicious food and wine. Yeah, it was great. I mean, uh, and maybe we should just keep going with this topic because there was a lot of like cool stuff that I learned last night. Yes, we had a whole, we probably talked for easily two, two and a half hours about gluteal enhancement. Butts. Butts, a whole lot of butts. There were so many butts in that talk. It was yeah. just, but the, th- <laughs> the thing was is that we had some real experts there. I mean, Ashkabami yeah. is one of the, the top guys in the world for gluteal, for, yep. for fat transfer to the butt. You right. know, that's kind of his thing. And he, you know, is involved in, you know, safety and determining the anatomy and, and how to stay safe with this operation because it got a bad name for a while. Right. So let's talk about that. Let's talk, let's have this podcast be about gluteal fat transfer safety. Yeah, that's fine. Um, because, it got a bad rap for a while because of all the procedures that we do, this one has the highest risk of death, which is a huge problem. Well, can, can I just, I'm gonna jump right in yes. right here and just say, I'm not sure that that's true. Well, I, I can, can we build up to that? I'm giving the okay. background. All right. Hold your horses. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, so it was his, billed as like, it was like, this is a deadly procedure. Right, and the reason for that is because when you are injecting fat into the buttocks, there are very large veins, they're called gluteal veins, that go straight into your heart. They go, there's a pathway from the butt to your IVC into your heart. And if a, a lot lar- of people know that, that the way to your heart is through is, your butt. Is through your butt. <laughs> there are a lot of people that know this, yes. Um, but but it, it, is it is. Because the veins go right into the uh, iliac veins, System. which are right in the pelvis, and then go up into the IVC or the azagus which is the sort of the, the posterior IVC, and both dump directly into directly the heart. Directly into that right ventricle. Which then comes right into your lungs. Yep. And so you can pump fat into those veins, directly into the big veins of the, of the, of the trunk, which then goes up into the chest, into the heart, and then to the lungs, which is where you have right. a problem. And then once it hits the lungs, then you are no longer able to oxygenate and you die. It is, it's, yeah. it's a cult of fat embolism you know, to the lungs. And it's tragic and it's awful and it happens quick. And you know, these patients really make it off the operating room table. And it's awful for any patient to die, let alone from a cosmetic procedure. And usually these are young patients, right. moms, young girls. So it's, it's, the whole thing is tragic. And so when we were seeing these numbers back in the early days of the gluteal fat transfer, people got obviously quite alarmed. And 
over the past decade, we've done a lot of work and study into why it was happening and things we can do to prevent it. But to go back to your point on was this as deadly as everyone was saying it was, I think in the beginning it was because we had a lot of non-licensed plastic surgeons. We had non-surgeons trying to do the procedure. There was a lot of people who were doing this procedure who should never have been doing it. And I think that's where we saw a lot of the complications, particularly down, unfortunately not to give it a bad name and stereotype, but in Florida and in Miami and that part of the country, they were seeing really you know, high levels of deaths, which is just not appropriate. So that prompted all of these studies. And death from ne- cosmetic surgery is never is appropriate. never appropriate. It's not. So you not okay. Now you tell us why you think those numbers weren't correct. Well, because it was a survey. It wasn't an actual tallying of the number of uh, of procedures that was being done, and then, and so you would see the the deaths because the coroner would be called. Right. So you could measure all the deaths, but you couldn't measure the number of procedures being done. So they they did a survey to try to figure it out. They had. You know, and, and any survey, you can expect the response rate to be 20 to 30%. I think in a survey like this, where they're saying like, hey, do you kill people with your operation? I think the response rate's gonna be lower. Response rate's definitely gonna be lower, but at the same time, they were only surveying plastic surgeons. And as we said, yeah, a lot of these- Yeah, these being done by like internists. Right, so whether or not that number was inflated or not, doesn't really matter because as Dr. Gavami said last night, whether or not that was an accurate number, it brought attention to the subject, right. which then prompted a lot of more studies and ways to achieve safety. Yeah, and, and it was, you know, the anatomy of the buttocks is definitely something that was sort of not well described until this uh, came up and it really allowed uh, plastic surgeons to, to get at the, you know, the crux of what the ligamentous structures are of the buttocks, how to make you know, them look better in a safe manner. And again, this is one of those things where it's like, you know, I I tend to do, you know, 200 to 300 cc's of fat transfer, which is really different than, did you see the average number in these studies? Yeah, it was like a thousand. A thousand fifty cc's yeah. to each butt cheek. Right. A thousand fifty cc's. Yeah. That's For everybody to like take that home, like the average breast implant you're looking at is probably 300 cc's, 400, maybe 400 yeah. cc's. So now you're talking about putting a thousand cc's not into both butt cheeks, one, but into one, one. cheek, cheek to cheek, two thousand cc's of fat. Yeah, I, I, I like you don't have two thousand <laughs> cc's of fat on your body. I probably do, but the, uh, but you don't, and so like you got to think who's getting these fat transfers that they have two thousand cc's to transfer to their butt, so they're going to be larger BMI people who are also already at risk. So I, I think there's a lot to it that I just thought was, you know, really enlightening to go through in that group, especially uh, Dr. Villanueva does a lot of these fat transfers. Dr. Gabay does fat transfers. I do my, I do what I call skinny BBLs. That's kind of my thing. Yeah. Like if you're skinny, but you want a bigger butt, I'm kind of the guy for that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to put that on my, on my blog, my, yeah, my skinny cause, BBLs. Cause you're patients all have BMIs of like 19 <laughs> and they want a bigger butt. I'm, I'm like, like with what, what fat am I going to, but I find it. Yeah, I do. And I, and you know, it's funny cause Ash even said, he said, yeah, no, I've seen you on the Instagram doing it. And he's like, you know, that's a much nicer operation. And it's also in keeping with what Louis Toledo wrote in his original book on fat augmentation of the buttocks, which uh, this is where the term Brazilian butt lift comes from is from 
uh, it was Anthony Griffin, who is a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon, who on Extreme Makeover called it the Brazilian butt lift. And he was just said he was just trying to credit the guys from Brazil who really worked this out and wrote right. it up. And uh, that's when the term BBL kind of came out. Uh, and uh, and in his book, he said three to four hundred cc's was the max. Yeah, and we kind of talked about that as well as to whether or not that's the case. It really depends, obviously, on the size of, of the patient. But I mean, kind of going back to what we were saying about like we found all this attention because we we're having these death rates. Well, what did we do about it? So we started doing all of these studies, and then I remember at one of our aesthetic meetings, probably two thousand. 18, 19 maybe, the whole, it was like the whole theme was about safety in gluteal fat transfer. Because yeah. we had some papers that. that had come out, Dr. Del Vecchio had published some really important papers about the anatomy of the area and also techniques, tips and tricks to stay safe. And the big take home of that was that you need to stay superficial because previously when we were injecting fat, we would put some in the muscle, in the gluteus muscle, yeah. some in the fat, some in the fascia layer between the two. And what we found was that putting it in the muscle has the highest chance of causing complications. And so as long as you stay within the fat, then you'll be okay. The tricky thing to that is that sometimes you don't know if you're in the fat. Most of the time you do, but it's not like you're staring at the anatomy. You, there are no open incisions. There are tiny little incisions that you're right. injecting the fat in. So you are not staring directly at the inside of the butt. So a lot of it's just by feel, you know, knowing how those different planes feel when you inject into them. So there is still a margin for error. But now that we've started doing more superficial fat transfers, we are seeing, I think, a decrease. Oh, yeah. Except last year in, in Florida. <laughs> last year in really? Florida was rough. Yes, remember, because we had they had like at least two or three deaths. And for a while in Florida, they put a moratorium on the procedure. The medical board did, and I think like the state legislature. Like it was like a total thing where they said, no more fat transfers can happen. And Jeez. then they started bringing them back. They kept having more deaths. And now they have a law that they have to do it under ultrasound. So they actually put an ultrasound on the patient so they can see exactly where their cannula is in space. The problem is, if you've ever seen one of these done, it's not a standing static procedure. That cannula that you're injecting with is constantly moving and you want it to because you don't right. want these big globs of fat just staying in one area because they won't survive. You really want to feather it out to you know, small little pieces of fat throughout the, the butt. And you can't do that if you have an ultrasound because it doesn't show moving in that way. Right. So anyways, that, but that's Florida. And that's that was in response to really a lot of non-licensed plastic surgeons doing these procedures and having problems and complications. So we have come a long way. We understand a lot more about how to keep safe. Um, but you know, there's, it's, patients have to know this, it's a possibility, you yeah. know, and we have seen it with board certified plastic surgeons. They are excellent surgeons. They've had deaths. It's, it can happen. It can happen with any surgeon. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the I think that's the larger transfers that are the problem in my in my estimation. Like I, like I know when I'm putting in two to three hundred cc's of fat, I know exactly where I am. I know where I'm putting the fat. Yeah. I have it mapped out. I, I don't sit there and wonder if this is a safe procedure. I know it's safe. I'm not going into the muscle. I'm not trying to make this humongous expansion. I'm trying to basically 
kind of lift the buttocks, get some some projection, you know. And again, and I'm doing this mostly on on women who are fit. You know, right. that's that's my patient population. It's right. like I I don't have you know the BMI of 32 patient coming to me because they want to have you know like that that 46 inch buttock you know circumference like the hips. I mean, I've seen this stuff. It, like I I it to me it looks very anatomically incorrect you know the waist of like you know 32 and then the it's just enormous and and we did talk a lot about the ratio of uh waist to to hip ratio yeah which i thought was really interesting too but yeah i mean like it just depends what you're trying to get at you know what you want but you have to consider the safety yeah and that's it's huge but that's the case with any surgery and we did have this topic too about now we're saying um, we think that a more accurate estimation is one in 15,000 deaths. So out of every 15,000 cases done, there is one death, which still to me seems really high. It seems high. Seems high. But then they were also saying that the death rate from a tummy tuck is one in 14,000. So which also seems high. Also seems high. But that's for the same reason. It's from a pulmonary embolism. You know, they have a I mean, DVT. I we would hear about these deaths. I know we would. And well, like, uh, We have. Yeah, the ones that occur, but like, yeah. I mean, we, I don't know, we, I think we would hear about them, and I just don't hear too many deaths from abdominoplasty. Um, I, I know of a few. Yeah, I mean, I know of a few. Yeah. But this is the thing, I, I just think, I think it's, I, I think that patients should understand that surgery is surgery, that things can happen, and they're disasters when they do. And it's unlikely, but but that could be the day. You know, it's like it, you just have to like, you know, I went in for sinus surgery. Like that could be the day. Like I have, you know, malignant hyperthermia. Like th- right. there are things that can happen right. in surgery. Yep. And so you just you you know you look to a higher power. You know, say your prayers and and you know every time I walk in the operating room, that's the the time that I that I always you know consider everything that I'm doing for that patient, their family, everything. You have to because you don't know. You don't know something there's you can't you unfortunately cannot control every aspect of any given procedure in general things do not happen like that it is very safe in general they don't you got a better chance of you know being in a car accident on the way home god forbid but you know those things do do happen much more frequently than than these problems in surgery surgery is extremely safe it's very monitored you know we we have just we have top-notch equipment now it's like everything that it's been that way for years where I really felt, I've always felt that we've given an incredible safety experience to the, you know, I just redid my ACLS and BLS, like, you know, all that right. stuff is like, everybody's trained. Like you are, you're going into the, the fighter jet of, of operating <laughs> rooms when you're going into an accredited OR with a board certified plastic surgeon. Well, that is true. I mean, there's no doubt. And that's, but that's the whole point is that we stack the cards in our favor as much as we can in case there is something we don't know or we can't control. So we control to the best of our ability everything that we can. And part of that is doing these journal clubs, having these discussions, talking about the anatomy, talking about the problems, trying to figure out ways to fix them, yes. doing the studies. So that's all part of being a plastic surgeon, a doctor. You're continuously training and learning and identifying problems and trying to make them better. And we're always teaching. We're always teaching the residents, the fellows, visiting surgeons from around. I've gotten so many requests for visiting surgeons lately. I I, I don't even know. Like, I, I should open a business of training <laughs> these, you know, people from countries I've not really heard of. But, you know, it's... Uh, 
it's it's part of it and you learn when you teach i don't, I don't sure. think people understand how much you know oh why do you teach the residents why do you teach the fellows they the the privilege of of sharing knowledge with people that are learning makes us better it makes us right. think it through we yeah you, you call yourself on the carpet never mind what they're gonna ask or whatever you you know that you want to be offering the the best most accurate information that you can to those you're teaching so that they can do the best job that they can for their patients that's how the specialty improves i think just the act of like explaining something to someone makes you organize the thoughts in your head and be like okay why do i do this okay then you have to organize it and then say it in a way that makes sense and it just it sits in your brain and you're like wait why do i do that or maybe why am i doing that because someone told me to do that and so it just it makes you question what you do and then also find a way to explain it and i think that just helps everyone you know yourself included but that was that was a topic of our journal club. It was safety and gluteal fat transfer. It was awesome. It was really great. We had such good input from some really amazing plastic surgeons. And the general consensus was, yes, this procedure absolutely can be done safely if you know absolutely. where you are, you know, and, and know what you're doing. Absolutely. And I do think that <laughs> refer to our last podcast about <laughs> how to pick your plastic surgeon because you know, it, it was a lot of people who are not trained in plastic surgery doing these gluteal fat transfers that probably had a big part of the, the getting everybody's attention. Yeah. Because done by somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, I mean, refer, refer to the, there's, there's this, uh, this nurse story that I'm, I'm watching now, this nurse that was putting you know, insulin into IV bags and oh, yeah. patients and, and the doctor death thing about the neurosurgeon who clearly didn't know what he was doing, but he just kept going from place to place. I mean, you, you know, you need to look at who's operating on you really carefully. Yeah, it's huge. And by the way, we're right here. <laughs> That's what I always say. I'm like, I'm, I'm right here. You know, oh, I had this, you know, nose job done, you know, down the street of blah, 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 and so and so. I was like, does he even do nose jobs? Well, I've kind of found that out afterwards that that's not really his thing. And, you know, it's just not something he does all the time. And I was like, okay, well, you're finding out now. Like, it's too late. Yeah. It's already, like, and it's your face. It's your, it's your butt. It's your body. It, like, find out before. Find out who does this stuff. And that's where you go. And that's what it is. Well, there you go. Well, I think that's it for us. This is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast coming to you from the 90210. If you like what you heard on the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast and want to get in touch with either Dr. Ravello or myself, this is how to do it. You can reach me at the website, ravelloplasticsurgery.com. You can reach out to the office directly through the website with any questions or consult requests, or you can call the office directly at 310-954-1355. And you can reach me on Instagram at Ravello Plastic Surgery. And to reach me, the phone number is 310-777-8800. My website is drcalvert.com, drcalvert.com. Instagram, Dr. J. Calvert. And of course, you may want to check out our YouTube channel for the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast, which is simply that, Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. Hope to see you all in the office very soon. Oh.